Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, Episode 30. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hi there, localists. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. My name is Christy, and I'm your host today. And I have an unusual business to tell you about today. Um, I have the owner of 501 Fit, which is a gym in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but it's really not a regular gym. Now, Diana Broska is here, and she has a unique patent on the type of equipment and the type of workouts that are provided in 501 Fit. What it is, it is group weights and and group workouts with weights using um, a set of patented machine that was made and invented by her co-founder, Phil. So Diana is here today and she's here to tell us about the concept and she's here to tell us about her journey and how she went from the corporate world to the world of the entrepreneur, the individual local small business owner. And uh, Diana and I got to talking on this interview and before I knew it, I got so wrapped up in the story that I didn't even introduce her properly um, for the podcast. So I wanted to go back and introduce Diana um, and she is starting by giving us the history of what we call the G-Works system and that is the patented weight and group weight resistance training um, machines that they have in 501 Fit in Minneapolis. So we join our interview already in progress. Enjoy Diana Broshka. Can you kind of tell me what that what it looks like or what it entails to do a group weight workout? Absolutely. So in 1999, uh, Phil graduated law school, and he was a gym rat, spent so much time in the gym (laughs) working out, and while he was staying up late taking, you know, law school and doing all of his studies, he would see commercials for both Uh and all these fitness machines. And it disturbed him greatly that these machines that he thought were actually not as great of a value as uh-huh. he started seem on commercials were being sold you know, in the millions. of. Business. Oh, sure. So he promptly graduated law school, invented a piece of machinery that he named the G-Works Gym. Mm-hmm. And what it is, it's really innovative. And truthfully, I've been here in Minneapolis for 10 years and was planning on actually leaving after about two to three years of being here for a job uh, until I met Phil and saw this machine and and saw the capabilities of what he was trying to do. Um, But the machine uses a dumbbell resistance system. So the the carrier allows you to assign weight based on increments of dumbbells. So you can go up one pound, two pounds, three pounds. Whereas other traditional weight machines, you've usually got 10-pound plates that you have to increment. So the machine is so simple, yet highly functional, because we Mm -hmm. can do literally over 100 exercises on a machine in about 63 square feet. So you've got a a station where you can essentially do an entire workout, and now you've got the capability, because you've got a weight rack full of dumbbells, to combine machine exercises and free weight exercises into okay. circuit-style training. Yeah, it's really innovative. Wow. So in 1999 to 2004, his plan and ambition at that point was to sell individual machines to consumers. 
but mm-hmm. it's 2004, and he's got a really great story. In 2004, he, he decided to switch gears only out of necessity because the original capital he had was pretty much gone, mm-hmm. and it's expensive to launch programs oh, or, sure. or products on infomercials. So he decided, well, go back to the roots. It's all about weightlifting, isn't it? And so he started training people again in his basement, and then he started to realize, well, gosh, I don't need to use just one machine. I can put two together, and now I've got the power times two and three together and four together. So he started out with one machine and then quickly uh, had four machines where he was able to train six people at a time. So now he's starting to oh, do the math. Wow. Yeah. yeah, starting to do the math <laughs> and figure out, wow, the dynamics here are good and the ratios make sense, not only for trainer in the time that they have, but also for clients because now you get to share the cost. So yeah. ultimately wow. then he, um, in 2000, 2004, opened up about a 1,000-square-foot studio in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, probably about 15 minutes from where 501Fit is located now. And he put 10 machines in there and spent three years seeing if he could grow a client base and trying to assess if the, if the system had power and could, mm-hmm. could be sustainable. So sure enough, you know, he found some success and caught the attention of some other local businesses in town. And people started coaching and mentoring him and telling him that the system was great. And as confidence grew, he decided to take a, a leap of faith and cross over from Columbia Heights and come to big prime time here in downtown Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. It is a big difference when you think about uh-huh. it. Um, so he he had a small program studio there and decided to expand and build a whole full-service fitness studio. So go from 1,000 wow. square feet to 7,500 square feet. Now test the model to see if it can work in mainstream fitness. Um, and that's when I became acquainted with him. It was 2007 mm-hmm. when he was envisioning moving to downtown Minneapolis and looking for space. And my background isn't fitness. Um, while I'm extremely interested in sports and athletics and have spent my fair share of time in a gym and have gone through the ebbs and flows of life, losing 50 pounds at one point in time in my own oh, life. Wow. Yeah, I know what it's like to, to have mm-hmm. those struggles. And so I met Phil at a time when he was really thinking thinking through doing it, but I also knew you know, Phil's the inventor and he's the guy, he's the big idea guy. And when it comes to the, the details, I saw an opportunity to provide some support to him. Um, right. So my background, accounting, finance, operations. And, ah. Mm-hmm, I spent... I see where you're going with this. Well, I'm answering all your questions. So Yeah. <laughs> um, so my background is totally accounting, finance. Um, I spent 20 years back in Chicago in the beginning of my career working to implement financial systems and then build mm-hmm. process around them. So I'm highly analytical and I see things right. I see things as very systematic, interactive um, chain of events and that's just how my brain thinks. Sure. So I offered to write the business plan for Phil so that he could go out and seek funding and sure. work on building his dream, right? Now up until that point, I had all kinds of stirrings in my own self about, gosh, do I want to be in business for myself? And I always knew that I wanted to be. I had no idea in what capacity. The landscape just hadn't revealed itself to me at that point, but I knew you know, corporate America is safe and I was successful, but 
would I be happy in corporate America working for someone else? And I, yeah. I think the answer in my mind was always no. I, I didn't want to stay there forever. So, you know, Phil was the pathway for me um, to take a, take a step toward that. And, and truth, mm-hmm. the honest to God truth is I thought I was really going to truly take a step toward it but not be immersed in it. So, uh-huh. you know, there's a longer story, um, but uh, to cut to the chase of it all, when Phil took the business plan and was attempting to get financing from sources, it was right around the same time the economy started to fall apart, and it was right around, oh, so it was 2008, and private mm-hmm. investment capital was drying up. The people that we talked to all said the same thing, great concept, great idea, come see me in two, three years when you prove, sure. when you prove it can work because um, the work that he had done already to that point didn't seem like enough to people to take a risk. So there was, wow. one, there was one bank who was willing to take a chance on the concept, a local bank, so it was nice to – we talked to the big players, and they can go nameless at this point, but mm-hmm. we were two small potatoes for them. So we, yeah, we had to take, take our business plan and shop it around with local businesses and local banks, which we did and found one to take a risk, um, but the deciding factor for me um, to be part of the business was that the bank wanted not only Phil to be part of the business, but they wanted me to be part of the business, too. So they were willing to take a risk so long as we were both involved. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it became a package deal, and, uh-huh. and I didn't necessarily see that coming. But yeah. I said, you know what, the world does funny things, and it puts things in your yeah. in your path, and my tendency is to, I don't fear risk as much as I fear what I might miss or lose, yeah. lose out on if I don't do something that's right in front of me. Yeah, um, and, and the way that the universe throws things right in front of you, do you not feel like you would almost be laughing in its face if you rejected one of those opportunities that was put right in front of you like that? Yeah, and I believe the world's going to send you the same message or the same yeah. opportunity until you finally get hit over the head and take it. advantage <laughs> of it. So I try to catch it a chase and then just jump right in. So, um, yeah, that's how I got involved. And wow. At the at the initial stages, I was still maintaining my career, which was a consulting business at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I tried to do that and then bridge building or assisting with building the club and was really leaving it up to Phil to, to run the operations of the club, but it didn't take either of us long to figure out one person's not going to be able to run a 7,500-square-foot studio by themselves. So um, since I was part of the the business at that point with a bank loan and my name on the dotted line I decided well let's go all in you know so I basically started oops sorry that's okay I basically started taking strides to move away from my consulting career and jumped all in so I I, and and at that point you were comfortable giving up your full-time gig for the the a new opportunity that was probably the piece that it, I wouldn't call it comfortable I would call uh-huh. it um, a necessity more than anything and I did it I did it but it wasn't easy because I I had a pretty nice lifestyle I was working three and a half four days a week and making oh, wow. a really nice living for myself and for all intents and purposes was completely happy um, wow so that was that was probably the hardest piece for me to reconcile was all the time I had spent building my career and all sure. of a sudden just do a complete U-turn um, and jump into this 
all in. And absolutely, no, and and it to change your lifestyle very dramatically. Well, not in the beginning. The first few years, I I had enough of a savings um, plan that I I was able to sustain a decent lifestyle for a while. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, we opened in 2008, so the business didn't grow as fast as it was expected to grow. And right. it wasn't wasn't making enough money, so I I exhausted my savings in pretty short order, mm-hmm. and and then also cashed in four hundred one k and do what entrepreneurs do and basically yes. risk it all. So sure, yeah, all the marbles on the table. Just yeah. Now let me, let me can I ask you about the um the emotional part of dealing with the bank rejections and presenting your idea and getting rejected or told, you know, it's great, but not for us right now. I mean, how do you you keep going through that? Because that is, that is an exhausting part for most entrepreneurs. You know, when you have an idea you believe in and you can actually sell other people on the concept, but not enough to the point where they want to give you the money to fund it. Yeah. It's interesting because, for me, in the beginning stages when the no's were coming down the pike, I truthfully at that point wasn't emotionally invested. I mm-hmm. was, I was, you know, I guess on some level financially invested. Uh-huh. And from a business perspective, I was interested and I believed in the concept, but I hadn't invested the 10 plus years that Phil had invested building it. Uh-huh. So the emotional conflict was more residing in his heart, not mine. I was yeah. I was still very neutral and truthfully coming out of corporate America, I was very black and white. Those things mm-hmm. didn't impact me as much as they impacted him. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, now that we're seven years into this, um, <laughs> I am fully vested emotionally and I do take to heart what people say and um, their perception and their reaction to our system and our business. And I'm more, I would say, emotionally invested now than Phil is. We've totally flip-flopped. You know, it's it's his invention, it's his dream, um, and we've built it together over the last seven years, this club, and I'm the one that is now just so emotionally invested in seeing our club be successful because, in yeah. all honesty, we're the pilot club for this whole system and mm-hmm. the proof of concept because the next stage um, of this whole journey for Phil is to launch the system on a broader perspective in a, mm-hmm. fr- in a franchise model, however, not your typical franchise in, mm-hmm. in that the business entity wants to make our training system available so that we can truly put the independence in personal training, meaning trainers that call themselves independent. If you look around the world today, they're not really independent trainers. They're dependent right. on a gym. They're dependent on equipment. They're dependent on a client base. They're dependent on um, trying to gather business one hour at a time. And that's not a successful proposition for a lot of trainers who mm-hmm. have a passion and have a pursuit, but to go work for the big box clubs, you're not going to have the same impact if you would have a system like ours. So the goal is to help trainers and potentially business partners of those trainers open up small program studios, ironically just how Phil started over in Columbia Uh Heights, so that more people in the world can truly lift weights 
with a certified trainer and do it Mm -hmm. at an affordable rate. And we believe our system, because of the low cost to um, to, to basically open a 10-machine studio, the cost mm-hmm. is going to be under $100,000. Oh, wow. We believe that the trainers can definitely generate that amount of money times two and a half to three, maybe four times, and function with some degree of profitability mm-hmm. um, without wow. needing a 7,500-square-foot studio like we have. Right, yeah. So we've learned, we've learned some things, and you know, my emotion now comes from knowing that we have the capacity to change people's lives and seeing mm-hmm. the rewards. And we have clients that have, still have some clients that have been with him for nine years that lift weights with him two to three times wow. a week. Yeah, <laughs> The longevity That's... of the system is amazing. And clients thrive on being strong and healthy, not because they like their time in the gym, but because they like what they do in the gym here with us, how it improves their life. So it's really a, it's a great concept, and I say Phil was way ahead of his time. And yeah. now the next stage is going to be interesting because I, I really believe we can change the way people view personal training and sure. and truthfully make it a group setting that's working and that is mm-hmm. productive for everybody. Yeah, that's neat. Now, let me ask you this. So Phil went to law school but never really used his law degree to practice law. Is that what I'm Correct. getting out of this? <laughs> Mm-hmm. That wasn't exactly what his aspirations were when he went to law school, was it? <laughs> no, nor his mother's. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that stuff happens, though? I mean, it's like you go through that because, you know, it, it obviously demonstrates a certain level of um, competence that you can actually go through a program like that. But so many people do that. They get a, a degree and end up doing something completely different because – they do at some point in time follow their heart and their passion and realize it's not in a corporate job and, and that sort of thing. So I like that. Now, whenever you were talking about you had a consulting business mm-hmm. um, prior to this, now that was that your own thing that you had started? I did do some independent consulting. Um, most of that work uh, was done with businesses that I had been previously an employee for. Mm-hmm. So it was safe. It was a it was a step into the independent pool, but it was still safe because I knew I already had clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also spent some time working for a local business here in Minneapolis called Salo Projects, and I still actually do work for them. And um, I actually have a part time job where I'm doing some consulting work right now to put my foot back into that that realm, mm-hmm. into that life, mm-hmm. and. It allows me to be able to to go make some consulting dollars at a higher rate, so right. so that I can keep the money uh, that this club is making in the club, so that I can yeah. build a team. So we're building a staff right now. We've got three people that collectively we we fund about 80 hours of um, labor each week. Mm-hmm. So the dollars are staying in to build the team. I see. Mm -hmm. Rather than, yeah. So you've always kind of had a little bit of an entrepreneurial bent to what Mm -hmm. you wanted to do. Yeah. Were you one of those kids that were, you know, growing up were always like the one selling things and the one trying to be um, generating revenue and that sort of thing as a young kid? The lemonade stand. Um, Yeah, the Girl Scout cookies, (laughs) any of that kind of stuff. Truthfully, no. No, I wasn't that kid. I was the sports junkie and the athlete and the kid that stayed out in the neighborhood till all hours of the night running around and had all kinds of of energy to burn. I was extremely competitive and Mm -hmm. um, athletics 
taught me how to win, how to lose, how to be gracious, how to be a Mm -hmm. poor sport. Um, And I think it taught me a lot of life lessons. And some Mm -hmm. of one in particular, one coach in particular, was a great mentor and just teaching me um, to always go that extra mile and to work harder and to, to strive for not perfection, but to strive to be the best. I didn't always listen to her at that time, but as I think back, I, I, I really could have done some things differently and worked harder and had more success. And I think it's come full circle in this business because I don't think you'll find anyone, you probably will, find anyone that works harder than me. Um, and I'll do anything. There is no yeah. task that's below us. Our team of you know four and, and then five, including Phil, we do it all. It's a multi-dimensional yeah. team. We are your classic small business where we're involved in everything from mopping the floor to answering the phone to one minute we're in a training session and the next minute we're taking out the trash. Right. And, and you know, that's, that is the theme that you see again and again when you hear local business owners' story. I mean, part of what separates them from these huge corporations is that the business owners – most of the time have had to do everything on their own until they could no longer keep up on their own, and then they add people in. Mm -hmm. And because they take such pride in what they do and they have every bit of their reputation and many times every bit of financial um, stability that they have riding on this venture, it doesn't matter whose job it is to take out the trash. If the trash needs to be taken out, it's going to be taken out, okay. you know, and it's if the parking lot needs to be swept, they're going to do it because they care about their customers and they want their customers to have the most awesome experience there. And it doesn't matter whose job it is, everyone pitches in. And I think that's also why so many people love working side by side with local business owners because you see them working just as hard and setting the example for how they expect everyone else to work. And I I, think that's so, so neat about local businesses. Completely agree with you. I work by example. I want my team Mm -hmm. to see me doing everything that I ask them to do. And Absolutely. I want, I want them to feel good about every task, and I always find a way to bring a task back to how it benefits our clients and why we mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just important. It's important. I take pride. My dad, you know, he, I never, never wanted to listen to him when I was a kid, but he would harp on us about the value of taking care of things and the value mm-hmm. of organization. And if we took care of things and made sure that things were in good order that opportunities could come and we would have space in our life for other things. So I've always just taken that to heart. Yeah, and that's that's fantastic, though, because you see, even over the course of your life, whenever you think, I, I was a kid like you that was involved in every sport I could be involved in and, you know, didn't even come in until after the lightning bugs quit uh, <laughs> flashing at night, you know, and that sort of thing. I always wanted to be out and going, but, you know, there are so many business lessons that can be learned on the athletic field and that whole team environment, even though you're competitive with the other team, it teaches you about building teams in a way that nothing else can because you go through the ups and you go through the downs and you go through the highs and the lows. And, you know, you might even have those times when you're crossways with each other, but at the end of the day, it's you and your team against whoever you're playing Mm -hmm. and you get those life lessons and you get those business lessons. And I think so many great business people 
people, you know, started out learning great lessons on the athletic fields. And I, I think you can't overestimate what, what coaches impact is on people, you know, future business leaders, not just on future athletes. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my coaches said and reinforced that the team is only as good as the weakest link. And mm-hmm. my goal in life, I didn't ever want to be the weakest link. Don't. And I didn't want yeah. to, and I didn't want to be second best. So yeah, I mean, it's just what really drives me as a 17-year-old on a high school softball team. I unfortunately, at that point in my life, was only second best. I was a pitcher that was the backup, hiding behind a superstar. I mean, she was uh-huh. a rock star, and she she would not ever step back from a challenge. And I spent most of my senior oh yeah my senior year on the bench watching her uh, wow. lead the team and I vowed at that point I never wanted to be second best again mm-hmm. so yeah I, we always say uh coming in second just means you're the first loser <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it drives me but it also holds yeah. me back a little bit because there's always this inclination for me to fear that um, other people's opinions or other people's work mm-hmm. will be favored ahead of mine. So right. I have to do a reality check on a regular basis. To yeah, no, I, I completely understand. And I was going to say, sometimes those of us that are competitive, you know, you, you do have to check that sometimes. Cause I don't want to be competitive to a fault, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I want it to be, I want it to count whenever the com- competition comes into play. Right. So Diana, can you tell us about, um, any kind of um, failure that you had that has been a real learning experience for you over the course of your business career that maybe even other business owners could learn from? This is a question that really, I read this and I thought to myself, gosh, how am I going to answer that? So now I'm on the spot. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I don't think of things in the realm of failure. I think of things in the realm of opportunity and learning. And, right. Um, I never regret anything, although things may be a struggle and it may mm-hmm. frustrate the heck out of me at times. Um, I think that there's some good in everything that we do. Um, looking over the course of the last seven seven years um, and growing this business and a really tough economy and, and working hard, um, on a regular basis and sacrificing everything. If I had to pinpoint um, where the failure might be, it's probably going to be more personal than it is business. Um, okay. I think the failure for me, and I think Phil might even echo this, is that sometimes we forgot to um, to celebrate the successes, and sometimes we forgot oh. to pay attention to the good because we were oh. always chasing after and backfilling what we needed to do out of necessity. So, And someone gave me that advice when we started this whole proposition. Remember to celebrate the milestones, celebrate the small successes, and mm-hmm. remember to take note of the accomplishments. And Phil and I both, we realized you know, probably less than 12 months ago that we forgot to celebrate the journey. We forgot to celebrate yeah. the successes. So for me, the failure is you can't go back and have that opportunity to yeah. celebrate it. It comes along. Yeah, it comes along and you either seize it or it passes you by and you can't go back and re-celebrate. That's You're like, right. oh, yeah, five years ago we did great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't exactly have the same effect. No. So, well, on the on the flip side of your failures, um, you we're talking about accomplishments. What What is the business accomplishment that you've been most proud of? Well, truthfully, just being able to sustain ourselves and to build to a point where we've got a staff of three people plus the 
the two of us as owners. And mm-hmm. I think the greatest, greatest, greatest accomplishment is, and the one that I'm most proud of, is that businesses, I believe, have an opportunity to really specialize, focus on, and truly bring forth a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we did that with great success in terms of staying on the course and staying true to the G-Works machine and staying true to the methodology that we were building, right, wrong, or indifferent, we decided that was what we were going to build our entire club around, and we did, and we still are, and we've seen a lot of fitness studios come and go, and we've yeah. we've seen a lot of fitness professionals um, jump on the latest and greatest and take on every new program and go learn how to do Zumba and Next minute, they're doing something else, and studios forget to build an identity or a culture around their core proposition. And mm-hmm. there's not a single person that's going to walk in the door and not know what this club is about, because we're going to make sure that they're going to know and experience. We're all about small group weightlifting, and we're all mm-hmm. about making sure people are safe, accountable, but that they can have an affordable place to work out and mm-hmm. not be judged. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of intimidation factor mm-hmm. that goes in with people at whatever fitness level walking into a gym for the first time, and especially even a new concept that they're not really familiar with. I mean, yeah. but I, I can imagine even doing group weightlifting how um, it kind of demystifies. You know, let's face it, many people that walk into a gym, you've, you've probably seen some of the memes on Facebook and everything of people using equipment incorrectly. And just, you know, you just, it's intimidating. You don't know what you're supposed to be working out. And, you know, you see people get on certain machines and you're like, okay, that's an arm machine. Why is their leg up there? And, you know, it's just, but I think, you know, even doing the group type working out, it just probably demystifies so much about weightlifting and and what you, why you need it to benefit, you know, certain parts of your body to strengthen them, um, that people would maybe not be is apt to go weightlifting on their own. I mean, many people walk into a gym and they know what a treadmill does and they feel comfortable just going straight over there and go, okay, I'm going to do my 45 minutes of cardio and I'm out of here mm-hmm. and never want to pick up the weight machine because they don't really want to be the one walking around scratching their head or trying to figure out how to adjust it or how to do anything, um, you know, with it to try to even figure it out. And so yeah. I just think, I think that concept has definitely has a market within the realm of the everyday people that aren't the gym rats, that's you know, right, that like right. you, like they feel was, but um, if you came and looked at our client base, you'd be amazed in a given workout session. And I had one just a week or so ago where we literally had the 30 year old age group, the 40 year old, the 50 year old, the 60 year old, almost the 70 year old age ranges wow. all represented in the same workout session. And that's amazing that you can bring a system to to people that would never, ever consider working out together. I mean, what 65-year-old says, hey, I'm going to go work out with a 30-year-old at the gym? (laughs) You know, they're not going to say that. No, and we don't choose these groups. They organically Uh come together. And it's it's amazing how many times people will walk in the door and they'll say, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm afraid to go to the gym because I look stupid. Yes. I don't want to hurt myself. I'm not sure what exercises I should or shouldn't do. So can you just tell me what I should do? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we sure can. Mm-hmm. We can tell you what to do in a nice way, in a safe way, in a friendly way. And everybody feels comfortable and welcome in the group format. And the funny thing is that our clients 
are so vested not only in their own success, but the success of the program, the success of the gym. And every time someone comes in new to try out a, a training session, just, just see what it's about, mm-hmm. they're welcomed in as if they had been here for seven years. Wow, they, that is great. Mm-hmm, our, our people sell the system. It's it's not really about – Phil and I tend to be very low-key owners, and this gym, uh-huh. isn't, this gym isn't a platform for us to promote our personal – you know, how we look, because it's uh-huh. kind of ironic. People love us because Phil and I go through our own struggles, and we they know, our clients know, we leave everything on the field for this business, for wow. them, and they mm-hmm. see it. They see it in our, our struggles, and it's funny because they want to give us as much support as we provide to them. Wow. And that's that's a great symbiotic relationship between you and your clients, though, to have that. Yeah, and a healthy one, too. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's always grounded in how do we improve, what's holding us back, um, what can we do differently. And our reviews, if you look at Yelp and Spacer, I've looked at some of them. They always say it's a neighborhood gym, or I mm-hmm. finally you know, felt like this wasn't the same mm-hmm. old gym that I went into and nobody cared about me, you okay. know. So it, that's it an, really. That's an accomplishment when you have people that are that interested in sharing yeah. how they feel. I mean, who wants to go on a public website and share how they feel? Yeah, but exactly. Those reviews are genuine. They're not yeah. about, oh, it was a nice gym. It was, I had a good relationship. And, right. You know, that's a tough Well, and I love, I was going to say, I love that you have the multi-generational groups that are there, too, because who knows, you know, who can benefit from, from meeting somebody that's older and wiser or somebody that's younger and more energetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of that feeds the whole group in such a such a whole kind of way. That's right, yeah. And we're big on privacy and confidentiality and I hate to go into big box gyms and just feel like everybody's sizing you up. They're judging you and they're comparing clothing and spandex. Uh huh. That's not how it rolls here. Oh my gosh. People get to come who they are and Mm -hmm. they know that they'll be accepted. And truth is, the way our system works is people feel like they're almost completely disconnected from the rest of the world when they're in a training session. It's like it's all about them and the group at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's great because the other part is that kind of investment makes the workout fun and it makes it go by quicker. It makes it, you know, you, you enjoy doing it. And before you know it, your gym time is over and you're like, wow, I hardly even knew I spent all this time working out because I was enjoying the group dynamic so much. Exactly, exactly. So, Diana, let me ask you, as far as your marketing strategies and things like that that you're using for 501 Fit right now, what are you finding that's actually working for you? I think first and foremost, the reviews are super critical for us. And Uh when people are doing online searches, we're going to get listed at the top for health clubs, for gyms, for personal training um, because of the portfolio of, of reviews. We invest a fair amount of money in Yelp advertising so we've got a video and banner ads on Yelp. And while that's a, a younger demographic, I think because we have a link right on our website that regardless of age, people are going to that website mm-hmm. and checking us out, watching the videos, reading the reviews. Um, so Yelp has been really important to us. We started out six and a half, seven years ago using City Search, which uh-huh. I believe is the predecessor of Yelp. I think Yelp sure, has yeah. done it 10 times better, but City Search 
um, I stay with them, and this is part of my my MO as a person. I stay with City Search because I I have this vested interest in taking care of the people or the businesses that were part of our journey and and helped get us where we are. Um, So I stay involved in um, advertising through City Search, not at the same Mm -hmm. level, at a little bit lower level, so I've balanced it off between the two. But I think online advertising is, is super important. I think while our website isn't the most sophisticated website from um, a navigation perspective, I think mm-hmm. the response we hear from people is that our website feels friendly. It feels okay. inviting. It feels um, informative. So I think that's important for us. We've also developed a strong relationship locally with a newspaper in town, the Downtown Journal, Mm-hmm. And all of our print advertising that we have done has been with them because it's a good fit for our uh-huh. audience. And um, being a small business, they have helped us along the way with um, allowing us to purchase space when it becomes available at the last minute. So, okay. um, so it's an advantageous relationship. I think it's a win-win for both both sides of the equation. Um, and then also we are very generous in terms of donating to events and charity auctions mm. and community involvement. We just recently got tapped into a small local um, network of people, and that's been really great connecting with other business owners. And this community in the Mill District of Minneapolis, they know who we are, and they know who we are because we take great pride in this neighborhood as if mm-hmm. our own. and. We, oh, good. Phil and I both, we frequent the businesses in the neighborhood. We encourage our clients to frequent the neighborhood businesses. Mm-hmm. I feel like we do a good job, too, of um, promoting and celebrating our clients and their local businesses. Because truthfully, yeah. I'll be honest with you, we're our client base, I would say a lot of them are their own entrepreneurs and independent business owners. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting community of professionals and residential people that live in the neighborhood so i mean we've really grounded i mean our roots in this neighborhood are pretty solid and and that's great though because that does add you know further those relationships in the neighborhood further add to that neighborhood feel Mm -hmm. of the the club and it, it you don't get that with other places i mean just the fact that people can go in every single time and see you and Phil, you know, they're working in the business. I mean, yeah. you can go in some other gyms and you you never even see who the owner operator or whoever the franchisee is. Okay. Um, they're not there. They're, you know, off running their corporation somewhere and this is just being, you know, managed there. Right. So it's, it's a different feel. So for 501 fit and your performance and measuring for you guys, how you're doing, what type of key indicators or performance metrics are you looking at and why do you feel like those are specifically important for your business? Well, I think the biggest indicator is, I mean, obviously it's headcount, but um, even more so ahead of how many clients do we have, it's about what's the satisfaction level of the clients uh, and, and retention of those clients. Um, we sell our packages in um, four, eight, 12-week increments. And we know that when somebody buys a four-week package with us, they're not completely sold. But we look at it as an opportunity over four weeks to build a solid relationship with them so that 
when they consider that renewal process. It's it's not going to be another four-week turn. It's going to be another 12-week turn. Or it's, I see. Or it's, I'm joining the gym now because I really like it here. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, the, the metrics are about retention. In the, mm-hmm. in the beginning, it was always sad when people would leave. Um, but ironically now, it's it's really startling to me, the impact that I didn't realize we had on people because of our relationships. And that now, even in the last week and a half to two weeks, we've had seven or eight people that left two, three years ago come back into the mix and say, I'm back, I'm back. Wow. I can't do this on my own. You know, life changes have happened. I switched jobs. I moved. It didn't mm-hmm. work then. It works now. And I haven't ever forgotten about this club. Awesome. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that, that even if they leave momentarily, they could come back around at a different point in their life. So now, you know, seven years in, the confidence level of when somebody decides to leave, I wish them well. I thank them for their business and ask them to please consider us in the future because in my heart of hearts, I know, you know, 15 to 20 percent of the time, maybe even higher, it's hard to tell at this stage, they're going to come back at some point. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. That, uh, but it, you know, the way you have it set up, where the four, eight, and twelve week um, enrollment periods, it does constantly keep you earning the the satisfaction of your customers. Rather than, you know, there are gyms where you, you know, the first day you show up, you have to sign a two year contract, and you're on auto bank debit, mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do to get out of it. So there's nothing keeping that gym accountable. After that initial sign-up. That's right. And I love that, you know, you can say, look, here's a trial period. Try us out. And every single step of the way, you're not afraid of earning your trust mm-hmm. with your customer and earning the value of getting them to, you know, auto-debit their bank account every single month. Yeah. So I, I love that um, business model. So it's not all tilted in the favor of the business, but it also gives the the consumer a choice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we pride ourselves on making sure that people are interested in making the purchase first and foremost, but then secondarily, we partner with our clients. So while they may be buying a four-week package that begins on day one and ends on day 30, Mm -hmm. if there are things that happen along the way, we know about it. Our clients are so open and honest with us. You know, I was sick for three days. Well, guess what? We're not going to take away those three sessions that you missed because actually we're thankful that you didn't come here sick. Right, exactly. So we work really hard to hold them accountable but be fair and reasonable. And Mm -hmm. if people are sick or they're traveling or a life circumstance happened that they just couldn't prevent, we're going to work really hard to make sure that they get value for their purchase. Why? Because we want them to buy again. But also we want them to get the results. They're not going to get results if they don't come. Sure. Yeah, and that's that is another key difference too, <laughs> with mm-hmm. with some gyms that I think we've all probably been exposed to. Is that no one really looks at your results? All they care about is that your bank bank auto draft still goes through every single month. So that's I right. love that. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this: um, over the course of your career, you've now kind of you've done several different things, and you've now seven years into your journey here at the um, 501 Fit, and I was just wondering if, as you look back over your career, are there things that you could have w- would change if you had the chance to go back and change them? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I think there were learning lessons um, that I didn't see at the time. I was a very 
hellbent 20-year-old, even 30-year-old trying to rise up the <laughs> ranks of the corporate ladder. And, uh-huh, uh-huh. and failure was not an option. I wasn't going to miss a promotion or, I mean, I worked really hard almost to the point um, where I wore people out around me that you know, they couldn't keep <laughs> up with me. And it's unfortunately not always viewed as a positive thing when, you know, you outshine or you outrun everybody around you. Um, but one of the things, I had two very, very, very important mentors in my career, and they took interest in me when other people were probably looking the other direction. And specifically one of them, I remember I was maybe 22, 23 years old and sat, got sat down by a supervisor, and I was with a peer group that were, they were a bunch of rock stars, and I thought I was a rock star, but <laughs> this was a defining moment where he said, you're not a rock star. And, oh. and he said, if you don't shape up, you're going to be out. And at that point, I was I was still kind of with my tail wagging between my leg as a little puppy, saying, well, why won't you help me? Why won't you teach me? Why won't Why won't you mm-hmm. you know give me the the tools or the knowledge? And and he basically said, go back and figure it out. They're figuring it out. Why aren't you? And that's what wow. that totally catapulted my whole shift in. I'm going to be the one that's aggressively moving up the corporate ladder and and I'm going to outrun all of these people and outshine them and that same person basically decided that he was willing to give me up in the department because somebody else actually saw something in me this mentor saw something in me that was unique and he wanted to pull me out of this management rotation team and put me into and I'm so grateful for this experience I got put into a reengineering team with Arthur Anderson, and they were big at the time. They're not so big yeah. anymore, but yeah, yeah, they yeah. Were, one of the big five, weren't they? They yeah. were a big, big, big entity. And I was in Chicago at a public utility at that time, and um, got put on this two two year um, reengineering. It was supposed to be longer, but it was two years based on my doing. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. I was put on this team working with these amazing people from Arthur Anderson, being shown how to re-engineer an entire business from the inside out and working with them from a systems financial perspective to put in new systems, put in new procedures, and to pretty much build a new business entity within the one that was still running. And think about that from a public utility perspective, what a massive undertaking that was. Yeah. But two years into it, I started to see value in what I was doing, and I started to realize, gosh, there are so many opportunities. And I, I – wanted to stay on this team but felt like there was a draw there was an opportunity in the is department which is my passion systems and analytics Mm -hmm. so i applied and i wanted so desperately to go on this this project team and and is and take this position and the vp of finance at that time basically told me no you can't leave this re-engineering team you're too valuable to this team don't worry we'll take care of you later but I didn't see the we'll take care of you later part at that time. What I, what I saw was, but I really want this opportunity over here. And I didn't understand that no really meant potentially something greater in the future. So I kind of got my myself bent out of shape a little bit and decided, well, fine, if you won't give me opportunity here, I think I've learned a lot. I'm going to go somewhere else. So I left that business and went and um, pursued some other things that have been very positive and beneficial for me, too. Um, wow. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how things shake out. Um, but the the mentors would always caution me to slow down, and they would always <laughs> – 
caution me and remind me to to realize that the way my brain thinks, I'm usually ten steps ahead of everybody. And I don't mean uh-huh. I don't mean that from a bad bragging perspective. It's like uh-huh. I see a problem, I'm already solving the problem and potentially have already fixed the problem before most people around me even see that it's a problem. And that was wow. probably that was probably the paradigm in my career that cost me the most my frustration because I didn't manage that mm-hmm. um that energy in a good way. I was always frustrated and disappointed and I wasn't truly a leader of the people around me. In fact, I felt ah. like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm even now to this day at soon to be in a week, 44 years old, I struggle with the reconciliation between the frustration that I have mm-hmm. when people around me just, I feel like they, they're just not Don't getting get it. it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Instead of being a leader to help them get there, I'm still working on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's for those that that do tend to run in that mode. It is frustrating sometimes to have people actually force you to slow down and go through the steps with them, mm-hmm. you know, so that they can get on your page as well. Yeah. So I completely understand that. Now, one of the things that we like to do um, here at the Brick and Mortar Reporter podcast is whenever we talk to business owners like yourself, we know that you're out and about in your local marketplace and you know what's going on, and we have listeners that are looking for their niche. They want to get into the local business world, and they just have not found that business yet. And so one of the things we like to do is ask you what holes in the market you have identified. In other words, are there products or services that you would love to be able to source locally, but you just can't find them? Hmm, Interesting. Um, Gosh, I try really hard to source everything locally. Yeah, and that's that's most business owners absolutely do. And then they get frustrated whenever there's something they can't get locally. So yeah. that's one of the things we want to put out there is, you know, just kind of put this, these niches out there on people's radar. Most of the stuff that I purchase um, that I find uh, not being able to get locally other than going to a big corporate retailer um, I'll tend to buy things online before going to the, the big corporate retailers, but it's more mm-hmm. of the, um, like, oh gosh, how do I, basic accessories or decorative items or even necessities like a shower curtain or um, mm-hmm. um, even our supplies. Gosh, we do. We source everything locally. Um, that's a tough question. I wish I had a better answer right off the top of my head. And, you know, everyone's local environment is different, you know, because you actually live in an area and Minneapolis has a great thriving local business community. And so that's, you know, that is one thing to your advantage that you can get everything that you need locally right there. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people can't. Sometimes it just depends on where they're located and sometimes it really depends on what type of town, you know, what type of city they're in. So um, keep it on your radar and you can always uh, shoot me an email and let me know if you've discussed discovered something and I'll be glad to share it at a later time okay. because we always want to keep these things on on people's radar so that if anybody's looking to go into business they can have some more ideas and that sort of thing. Okay. So now can you tell me do you have a favorite tool that you use in the day-to-day running of your business? It's interesting because I'm going to give you an answer that you probably don't expect, but Okay. Um, <laughs> my surprise fa- me. My favorite <laughs> tool is truthfully it's it's going to be the dumbbells that we use in our training and our system. Um, those dumbbells, to me, they represent everything that we're about in terms of, 
you know, the incremental progress and sure. being able to pair different denominations of dumbbells together to move things forward to achieve strength and just, you know, the, the strength and the pillar. I mean, if I look at a dumbbell, I see it as the pillar or the foundation of everything that we do. So when I'm in a training session and I'm teaching clients and we're working on exercises and I've got a dumbbell in my hand, truthfully, that's why we're here. More than a dumbbell, right? It's more than just a dumbbell. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bizarre answer. I should be giving you an answer like, oh, I love using our fitness management software. (laughs) No, I find it interesting because this, this is actually what makes all of these interviews so great is that people do give different answers. And I'm, you know, there's not one answer that I expect, but I just love to hear it because people run their businesses so differently. And uh, to know that, that you can get so much out of a, you know, what everyone else would see as a dumbbell mm-hmm. is to me fascinating. And it shows that you're, um, you know, you've really gotten your business broken down to a point where you know that your your foundation started and finishes with that, that dumbbell and the dumbbell system. So I love that. Now, you have been absolutely open and shared so many things about your journey and your business with us today. And one of the things that we like to do is give you an opportunity to promote anything you want with your business, because we know we have um, listeners in your area. And even if we don't have listeners in your area, um, there might be people that could benefit by what your business is doing. So what would you like to tell us or what, what can we let help get the word out for you about uh, 501 fit? Well, I think I would just like to share that, um, the G-Works system that we have is an opportunity for people, local and soon-to-be as we venture into the next stage of, of this whole business journey for Phil, especially um, launching a franchise and making the system available. I think we and whomever joins the race with us, we have a chance to change the fitness industry and the view of personal training. And everything we do here is to create opportunity for clients to have the option to lift weights and to train mm-hmm. to train with the trainer. Um, and in truth, in May here, we're looking at maybe even carving out some additional programming to even oh, wow. even lighten. Even though we feel that the investment that we ask people to make in their life to pay for a G-Works program is far below market value for personal training, we find that there are still some people that aren't even at that basic level to be able to afford $210 or $239 for, mm-hmm. a month for 12 sessions. So we're looking at going to the next level um, as we have some financial stability of carving out what we would call a G-Works light program. So yeah. they would have a few opportunities to lift weights. They wouldn't have the robust number of options that the mainstream program has, but it would give people at a little bit lower economic value, the opportunity to, to come downtown Minneapolis and actually be able to afford our service. Wow. Well, I definitely want to, um, on the show notes of this show, we have it on our website and that sort of thing. We always like to link up to where people can find you on the web. Mm-hmm. And so I know um, your website is what, 501, five, I can't even say it, 501fit.com, Correct. where they can find that, um, all about your gym and the um information is there a separate website for the g works no or right now okay. it's under development it's incorporated yeah. okay mm-hmm. so you can find you can also go to the 501 fit website and find out about the g works system okay. and if you're googling it it's what g-w-e-r-k-s g-w-e-r-x 
X. Okay, I knew there was some. I knew there was some unusual spellings in there, so I didn't get that quite all down pat. But we'll do that now. Are you guys on Facebook? We are Facebook, Twitter, Yelp. City okay, Square. tell me, tell me where we can find you on um, Facebook. Is it five hundred one fit? Facebook dot com forward slash five hundred one fit. Exactly. Yeah. Is your Twitter five hundred one fit as well? Yeah. Perfect. And what I'll do, and, and we'll put your um, Yelp and City Search links and all that, all that in the show notes, so that people can come directly to our website, listen to the podcast, and then also see any of the show notes and any of linking up to any of these things where they can go directly to your website and that sort of thing. So, any final parting words of wisdom you have for us today, Diana? Words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Truthfully, it's it's a matter of taking a risk. And I think the word, the insight that I have is you never know what doors will open and the rewards that we have that Phil and I get to to realize in this business, I think, are different than what I expected. Um, mm-hmm. You know, growing the business and having success by building operations, uh, yeah, okay, that's cool and that's fun. But <laughs> you know what the rewards are? I never would have imagined the impact that people would have on me when they walk in the door and share how our training has helped them do something different in their life. So it's a matter of just follow, follow what's in front of you, wherever it may lead. It may not be what you thought you were supposed to do at that time, but it's there for a reason. Yeah, it's, I completely agree. And I keep hearing, you know, day after day stories of business owner after business owner, you know, saying that the curve came in the road and we just went with it and mm-hmm. look at where we are now. So it, it it's almost, I don't want to say it's a universal law, but it just continues to happen and manifest itself in so many of the people that I talk to. So I appreciate you sharing with us today. You've been a pleasure to talk to. It's just been um, very eye-opening and enlightening for me to hear about your business and what you guys are doing in the fitness industry. It's, it's a crowded marketplace yeah. and it's oftentimes very confusing confusing and a little bit misleading yeah. um, for the average consumer. So I really appreciate um, that you guys are trying to get down to um, the relationship building That's with right. that and trying to build community around health and fitness in your neighborhood. Yeah. So I love that. And I can't thank you enough for the time you spent well, with me today. Thank you. Likewise, it's been really great. You're awesome to talk to and your questions are great. And I hope that somebody can find value in what I've said today. Localist, I need your help. If you've appreciated this podcast today, I need you to go to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, tell us what you think about the podcast. It is so important for us to expand our reach to be able to have those iTunes ratings and reviews. That way, other people can find us much easier whenever they're looking for things about local brick-and-mortar businesses. So go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating. You cannot imagine how important it is to us. You can find show notes to everything we discussed in this podcast on our website. So go there. It's www.brickandmortarreporter.com. You can see all the links to anything we discussed. And also you can leave us any comments or any questions that you have. It's the best way to get in touch with us. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local.